Hello and welcome back to a new episode of our Gilmore Girls podcast, Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. Cynicism. Can't speak today. I'm (laughs) Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And on this week's episode, we are going to be discussing episode 18 of season three, Happy Birthday, Baby. Which is But first we want to check in with all of you. How are you doing? How is everyone doing? So as you tell, bitch. Sorry. Not well, bitch. Not well, bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, so first, I was telling Jeffrey that uh, it was my idea last week to take a mini break because mental health-wise, that was not good. <laughs> um, ugh. Pandemic is being a little shit. <laughs> so yeah. if you guys don't know, we've been seeing a rise in cases in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, both in Ontario and Quebec, where Jeffrey is, Ontario, where I am. Um, I had a family member, well, I had a couple of family members test positive last week, and I was scared for my grandmother's health, and I was just not in a good place mentally to be recording another episode last week. Um, so I needed a break. Yes. I needed to wallow a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I to borrow a Gilmore Girls term, I needed to wallow. But really, I just uh, I was not feeling well. Um, you know, like stay at home orders are in place now for us here. Also for you, right, Jeffrey? Honestly, it kind of there is yes. Answer the question. Yes, there are stay at home orders. I think um, the rules have also changed a lot in the last week because yeah, you know, it's hard. Keep up too, so that's that's also taking a toll on a lot of people. So as far as I as far as I know, this week they introduced new restrictions and rules for high school children. Oh, uh, really? Okay. As they should have, because like You're that's the elephant. Stressed. That's the elephant in the room. Like you sent all of the kids back to school, and then just expected the best. Yeah, I know. Um, and so as far as I know, there's um. All like places where you can gather are closed for the next 28 days until October 28th. So like restaurants, libraries, museums, etc., mm-hmm. uh, are all closed for 28 days, ideally. And then, so like that's the that's like considered the current lockdown. But like everything else, more or less, is allowed to remain open because I don't think a the government can afford another lockdown like the first one, and b I don't think businesses can afford it either so I think they're kind of closing rest like places like restaurants and libraries just to be safe and then kind of asking everybody to please be vigilant elsewhere because I don't think we can afford another lockdown like the first one yeah um you guys are also not allowed to well not allowed it's highly discouraged to go to another household that isn't your own right yes right and of course see that's why it doesn't even come up come up for me in my brain because like I haven't been doing anything like I haven't been to a restaurant since February so that's why I'm like restaurants yeah okay I wasn't doing that anyway like all the things that they announced I'm like yeah I wasn't doing any of that all this time so thanks yeah no I know um so here in Ontario we got the message last week that um this whole bubble thing that we were doing. So we're your bubble was you're you were allowed to see people who would be part of your bubble of like you you were allowed to have a bubble of up to ten people, basically. Which, which was bullshit, by the way. Let's just say that. Yeah, because people 
people took that as, oh, I'm gonna let's see whoever the fuck I want. <laughs> that was everywhere though. Like I don't think like I don't think one person really understood the bubble term. Because, like, no. bubble was supposed to be, like, your house and maybe someone from another house, like, a, a relative, yeah, maybe a honestly, neighbor, they made, but... They made the bubble so that um, families can kind of start seeing each other again. Exactly. And people took it to mean, like, oh, I can go over to my friend's house. She's in my bubble. But that really wasn't what, what it was. But, um, yeah. and I do have to say, um, Ontario did do a fucking terrible job of rolling out that message. Mm-hmm. Because when they first announced the bubble, when I got here in uh, June, July, everyone was like, what the fuck is this bubble? Like, they, they said, oh, there's going to be a bubble, and they didn't define what a bubble was. So, yeah. so there was already a problem there. Anyways, but, like, we got the message last week. Um, the government of Ontario sent out an alert to everyone's phone saying, you're highly discouraged from going anywhere unless absolutely necessary. Please stay home. Um, our cases." I think are just um, I think it's more for Toronto in general because half of the cases in Ontario every day are just in Toronto mm-hmm. so um, yeah I was not doing well last week because also my mom was supposed to come this weekend for the long weekend for Thanksgiving and um, we decided that she wasn't going to do that because we want everyone to stay safe Thanksgiving? What's that? That was canceled, exactly. honey. We're not thankful for anything this year. Um, but yeah, it was hard. As much as, you know, I miss my mom. <laughs> I wanted to see her. I wanted to. I wanted her to come. But I told her, listen, your health comes first. Um, my, she lives with my grandmother, too. So I don't want anything to happen. So we decided to put that off. And I was in a little bit of a funk. Because, you know, it's hard living alone during a pandemic in a strange city when you don't know anyone understandably and there's only so many bike rides i can take by myself <laughs> that's um, october and getting a bit cold for bike rides yeah but i don't care <laughs> i feel alive <laughs> but um yeah so i literally took the weekend to wallow in self-pity um took a lot of naps i said to myself eleni you could take this weekend to be a little bitch <laughs> come monday it's back to business. And that's literally what it was. I've been better this week, but I just needed a break. So thank you for that. <laughs> I didn't mind, honestly. Like, it was weird at the time um, that the pandemic first started because I was just, I was just like super stressed out at the time with school and work and all of these things coming, like, occurring at the same time. And then mm-hmm. the pandemic started and it's like, I'm going to chop my own head off now because. Like, so far up in the clouds. Um, and so it's, it was just weird how the, the podcast at that time was kind of, like, becoming a bit of a chore. And then now it's, like, this is one of the only things bringing me joy. So I actually did miss recording last week, but not, like, in a way that I'm going to say, you know, it, I was mad at you for taking a break. I'm like, of course we can take a break. But I was also like, okay, I missed that. Now what am I supposed to do on Wednesdays? Honestly, it was the same thing for me. I was like, I need a break, like a mental break. But when Wednesday rolled around, I was just a little bit like, oh, it would have been nice to be podcasting today. I know I need a break, but we're going to get back to it soon and whatever, you know. But um, we've often said that this podcast like therapy for us. It's really mm-hmm. true. <laughs> it really is. Um, and it's good for us to speak. We used to, we went from seeing each other every week to record the podcast mm-hmm. to me moving and doing it over Skype. And I haven't seen you since I came back in September. And then before that, we hadn't seen each other since March. Right. 
So, you know, it's taken a toll on us too. (laughs) Um, You know, going from seeing somebody every week and doing this in person and just having that, um, that like friendship, intimacy, whatever, to doing it over Skype and speaking to a screen, it's a little different. It's a little harder. Um, But, you know, it's, uh, yeah, so I did miss it last week. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And also a note that we would have, we would have been recording virtually regardless of pandemic because you would have, you would have moved it anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think if anyone was wondering, did we start recording virtually because of the pandemic? Uh, not not really, because she moved. Eleni moved to another city, so it was more or less because we're not in the we don't live in the same city anymore. But even if she did, we probably would have been doing it over Skype because of the pandemic. But that's well, a moot point. Yeah. Well, we started recording. Um, we started recording on Skype. I think. Uh, well, we were on hiatus. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we did. We did the quarantine queries. Yeah, because season two had ended, but we were like, we're not ready to jump back in with all the uncertainty of the pandemic. But we can do like some filler episodes of the quarantine queries and just catch up. And we were recording over Skype then too because it just wasn't safe. Um, as much as I love you, although <laughs> I did, I did work with your mom back then. So, <laughs> and you were all in hazmat suits. So yeah, we were all in hazmat suits. God, I don't miss that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so yeah, that's just where we were, or where I was mentally, and why I needed a break. That being said, I hope everyone's still taking this very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, I keep hearing, I want things to go back to normal. It's not going to go back to normal unless you put in the effort. Um, so please, please, please take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, because- and also I just like to say in regards to the term that I really hate, and for different reasons. I understand why people use it. I know what you're going to say. I really don't subscribe to the term of the new normal. <laughs> and um, I actually even told this to my own therapist, because she, she always says, you know, it's the new normal. And I'm like, I really don't like that term, and here's why. Um, just because... I, I think language and words matter, like how we label things, what we call things, like those things matter. Like, you know, like the whole thing of sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. That's not true. Like names no. hurt. Words have power. Yeah. Um, as we all know. But I so exactly I don't feel like calling this the calling any of this normal is not okay because none of this is normal like i know when people say the new normal it's more like aspirational like when we get to a point where things are better shall we say then there's going to be like a new way of doing things a new version of the old way of doing things obviously to to stay safe and no germs Mm -hmm. but i just don't like now in this stage calling anything the new normal because at this point as you know the situation with this crisis is no no by no means under control none of this is normal so I don't want people like especially people who obviously are having a very hard time with this and I think that's 90 percent 95 99 percent of all people at this stage yeah um I don't I, I don't want people thinking that like this what you're feeling is normal like what you're feeling is valid, but what you're feeling is not normal because of this it, this situation in itself is not normal. Yeah, so, so there's why... a difference. I want to clarify. There's a difference. We're not saying it's not valid, so I'm glad you said that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, let's not normalize this. <laughs> exactly. And I actually I shared a tweet on my own Instagram story a while ago. Um, 
I don't know, time is not real anymore, so I don't know how long ago it was. Like, end of su- end of summer-ish. Um, let me see if I still have it. I do have it. Um, so this person tweeted saying, I think that sometimes we, we misuse the word normalize, and especially when talking about mental health. I want to normalize talking about mental illness. Normalize mental illness itself. I almost think normalizing mental illness creates its own kind of stigma. Sure. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree 100%. Because like so, things like things like mental illness, mental health, like mental health issues, um, those are not always pleasant. And yeah, so yeah. we should not normalize it like what you're feeling is okay. Like, no, what you're feeling is not okay. But another phrase I hate, but I'll use it here. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah, that that phrase has been co-opted a lot. Um, <laughs> like it was it was okay before it became trendy. Yeah, so the example that I go back to with that is, you know how uh, lots of students now feel a lot of pressure? Mm -hmm. Um, They've been doing a lot of studies that say, like, the average high schooler has so much anxiety. I think they were saying, like, more anxiety than whatever. I have to find the study and I'll post it. But when I read statistics on that, I was like, that's ridiculous. So in terms of normalizing mental health, I don't want to normalize people feeling anxiety to the point like you're a high schooler feeling anxiety. Mm-hmm. I want to normalize people being able to talk about their anxiety to get better. Exactly. Right? exactly. So, um, so I agree with you. None of the, none of this is normal. Um, so what, what's normal is you feeling anxious and not okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not, th- this pandemic is by no means normal. <laughs> exactly. Uh, being on lockdown for months on end is by no means normal. Um, so you feeling the way you're feeling, that's normal. Mm-hmm. So that being said, please come talk to us if you're feeling <laughs> certain way. Uh, and we will rant in turn. Shout out to Victoria, by the way. Victoria is one of our listeners from BC. She's a nurse. She and her team are doing great work. And this week she actually uh, DM'd us on Instagram and she's like, hey, how are you guys doing? And I really appreciated that. So thank you, Victoria, and I hope you guys are staying safe in BC as well. Yes, we love you. We love you all very much. Uh, shall we move on to the episode now that we've uh, talked a lot about other things? Yes, and talked about how much um, everything is a raging dumpster fire. Yes. Let's yes. jump into episode 18. Another dumpster fire. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just have a lot of thoughts on this episode. Do we ever not have a lot of thoughts and feelings? Yeah, about sometimes I'm just. I don't have much to say, and then we start the conversation, and I do have much to say. Okay. And then this one, I'm like, no, I have much to say. Is this a sentence that I'm saying now, or I'm just speaking gibberish? I think this whole episode so far has been gibberish, so I think we're good. Okay, let's move on. Um, so this episode three eighteen, happy birthday, baby. So the cold open. Are we still calling them cold opens? I don't know. I think to me, not every episode is a cold open. Like, I feel like there's some episodes where it's deliberately the first scene supposed to be funny before you cut the opening credits. And then there's others where it's just a scene. Yeah. So I think Gilmore Girls does this a lot. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this is funny. It's a because I refer to cold open, like you said, as like the funny ones that don't really advance plot. Mm hmm. Um, but other people just refer to cold open as the scene, regardless of what it's for, as the scene before the credits roll. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't think this is a cold open in the traditional sense because it does advance plot, right? 
Yes. Uh, so let's just say the opening scene. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right in saying that cold opens don't advance the plot. It's just, just supposed to be a quirky, funny opening scene. Yeah, especially for a comedy show. Well, what we know as a comedy show, right? Yeah. That's always how I've kind of viewed it. Um, so anyways, the, the opening scene, shall we say, is Richard Gilmore cooking, serving? What's he doing? <laughs> I don't um, know. He- I, maybe he's like overseeing the food being made because I don't believe that he would actually know how to cook. Yeah, that's that I'm like, there's no way this man in a bow tie fucking cooked this thing. No, right? so maybe he like inf- instructed the 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 maid uh, the cook on how to make it. Yeah, so that's what I think happened. So he's making this dish called it looks Johnny. Disgusting, Machete. by the way. It looks disgusting. Uh, it's called Johnny Machete, and he explains that it's what his grandmother used to make him when he was feeling sad because a girl he fancied turned up his no her nose at him. I mean, or, that was one of the examples. Or if his cricket team lost. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. First, first world so problems. Rich. Yeah, Richard, you're so rich. <laughs> I just picture a mini Richard in a bow tie. I don't know why. I'm sure it happened. I know. So it's called Johnny Machete. And so I actually looked up what this dish is. Oh, did you? Because I'm like, is this a real thing? I want to know. And the only thing I could see on the Google is a dish called Johnny Marzetti, not Machete. Mm-hmm. So I was like, is that the same thing? So they're both kind of like casserole dishes. And Johnny Marzetti is an Italian-American pasta dish in the cuisine of Midwestern United States. What are all those words? I'm very lost. Yeah, those don't go together at all. And also, I wouldn't want to ever eat that. But what? It, but I'm going to read it again. <laughs> An American pasta dish in the cuisine of Midwestern United States. What is that? But what is it? But it doesn't look like it doesn't look Midwestern. If I'm if I'm if I'm thinking of the Midwest as I would think of the Midwest, it doesn't look. It barely looks Italian. <laughs> it, oh my um, god! Alternative names: American chop suey and American goulash. Mm, oh, America, you ruin everything. You really do. Let's let's be honest, America. You don't have a cuisine, except for you know fast food, if you want to call it I that. I mean, neither do Canadians. Well, Canadians, I think, have a little bit more cuisine because we have like French Canadian stuff. And yeah, I was gonna say like French Canadian. There's a couple of like other Canadian things, but yeah. not so much. Okay. So, um, oh my God, it looks disgusting. Oh, okay. I can't look at it anymore. But, so, whatever. He made that. Um, I mean, I'll echo what Emily said about how she's, Richard says, just eat it. It looks like somebody already did. It honestly did not look appealing. <laughs> it looked kind of like like a macaroni and cheese casserole with vegetables and yuck. Yeah, it looked, when I got, a, like, a good look at it on Emily's plate, it looked like there were a bunch of vegetables mixed in and, uh, like like some kind of cream sauce with the new, I don't know. It did not look appealing. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, thank you, Richard. Stay, <laughs> in, stay in the office, not the kitchen, please. Um, okay. So it's also the scene where Lorelai and Rory tell the Gilmores that she's going to Yale. I do like how the Gilmores waited for approval to get excited over it though. Okay. So here's my take on this. 
I also remember really liking their reaction. So not knowing how to react at first yeah. and then getting up when everyone was like, no, no, it's fine. She's going to Yale. We're happy about it, blah, blah, blah. So I liked that at first. And then I watched it again for the purposes of the podcast. And I'm like, isn't that really sad, though, that they're like, waiting because they don't want to rock the boat again because she's made them so scared to emote. I mean, I don't really see it that way because, like, so there's two sides to every story and there's definitely two sides to this one. I think they both kind of overreacted in the past with um, applying to Yale, meaning both Richard and Emily and Lorelai reacted, yeah. reacted to the 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 whole Yale situation, and I think that just based on how Laura, how like how upset Lorelai got when their intentions were more or less admirable, shall we say? Yeah. Um, and Emily says, you know, you hate us that you hate us so much, you can't have you can't let her have one piece of our lives. Mm-hmm. So just in regards to that, I think that. I don't know. I think the way that uh, Emily and Richard just kind of waited until, like, not not to say swallowed their excitement, but they were like, oh, okay. They were kind of finally listening to Lorelai. You know what I mean? Like, usually they would not take Lorelai's feelings that seriously, but because she got so upset, they're like, okay, fine. You know, and then only once she's like, we're all happy about it. Everyone in the room named Lorelai is, is happy about going to Yale. Yeah, so, I so think- listen. I get that completely, but I think it's sad that they had to get to that point because Lorelai overreacted that one time, right? Yeah. Or the twice, like at Thanksgiving when she threw a fucking fit in front of the guests. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, we talked about that. That was childish, right? Yes. Because she just applied to Yale at that point and she's freaking out, right? Mm-hmm. So I just thought, like, the reaction, yes, is cute. And I do see what you're saying. I hadn't thought about it before. But I do I, I do like the fact, now that you said it, that, yes, they are kind of taking her feelings into account um, when she says um, they're, they're finally listening to her. And I get that. But I was also like, oh, so sad. Here you are just telling your, your grandparents you think they're going to be over the moon. And they're like, oh, shit, how do we react? I'm scared of her. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So I don't know. I I, I, I kind of felt for them. I was like, oh, this is sad that they can't just be like, yay, from the start. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'll just, I think I'll just, <laughs> this is not a good day for Jeffrey and words. Um, I'll just say, I'll, I think I, di- I just disagree because oh. they, like, I just feel like the entire subject has been not very pleasant in the past. So it's not like. <laughs> This, it's not like all of a sudden now the, the subject was robbed of pleasantry. It was like, this was, this was always a touchy subject. And they're waiting, not not, not saying they're waiting for approval, necessarily. But that is kind of what they're doing. Yeah. I think just in regards to them wanting, like, them wanting Roy to be happy, I think they wanted, they were just waiting more or less to please, not to please, to appease Lorelai and her immature nonsense. Her immature nonsense, that sums it up real well. Because, real well. like, it's more it's more Lorelai's problem than Rory's at this point. Yeah, for sure. But it was always more Lorelai's problem than Rory's, right? The roles reversed later, but we're not there yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> okay. Um, that being said, the reactions afterwards are really, really cute, where he's like, I'm going to teach you the fight song. Yeah, oh, God. 
Um, also, I'd like to point out, people often forget, but Emily did not go to Yale. No. Um, I've seen a lot of stuff online where people are like, they both went to Yale. They wanted her to go there. Emily did not go to Yale. Did she, where, did she go to any college or no? Do you remember where? Now that you said it, I'm completely drawing a blank. Oh, Jeffrey. No, I remember now you say it. She didn't go to Yale, but now I don't remember. No, I, know, I know you know she didn't go to Yale, but she, she mentions it twice, I think, in this series. She went to Smith. Right. Because she said it was like in season one, did she say it? No, I don't no, know. No, she said it. Well, I remember clearly when she says it in season five. Right. She's talking to Lorelai about Richard not being in the house. And she's like, well, I went straight from my parents' house, parents house to college to my husband's house. She's like, I've never been alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to Smith. I was an art. Uh, she was an art history major. Hmm. And, um, yeah. So fun fact. So Emily did not go to Yale, y'all. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's that. <laughs> I just wanted people to know. Yeah. No, because it, I think I think that the the assumption is that she did go to. They both went to Yale, and that's where they met. But now, like I remember you, I remember her saying in season five during that conversation that she went to Smith. But it's interesting how to just the casual viewer and the like just the casual observing eye, like it would you would assume they both went to Yale. So that's interesting. Well, yeah, so that's that's what's really interesting to me because I think people the reason people assume that Emily also went to Yale is because she's so invested in Rory going to Yale, right? Yeah. And I think that speaks volumes to the dynamic between Emily and Richard. Mm-hmm. So Emily also went Emily is also college educated, right? She went to a four-year private college. It's not really easy to get into Smith. Um, presumably, she had money also, but whatever. Like, she's a smart lady, right? Yeah. And she spends her days, um, like, doing Richard's bidding and running her household. And yet, she's so invested in Rory going to Yale because that's where her husband went. And wouldn't it be great if we can continue the legacy of the Gilmore name? But really... In reality, like, you also went to college, and you went to a really great college, and wouldn't it be just as great if, let's say, hypothetically, Rory wanted to go to Smith, right? hmm I don't know. So it just, it, to me, it kind of, like, cements this patriarchy in their relationship. Yeah. I was going to say internalized misogyny. Yeah. So the misogyny Smith, card. Exactly. We're playing it. Smith was the first historically women's college to offer an undergraduate engineering degree. Interesting. Two first ladies of the United States have graduated from there. As best they should. Exactly. Um, Okay. So let's talk about Michelle and Tobin. I too hate Tobin. Okay. So I also hate Tobin. (laughs) And... From everything we know about Lorelai, don't you think that Tobin is the type of person that she would also hate? Before we go any further, how do you spell Tobin? Okay, so I just wrote in my notes T-O-B-Y-N. Okay, I have two versions of spelling it, and neither of them is that way. Okay. So I Did wrote it just... Two? I wrote it just regular, like T-O-B-I-N, which is, I didn't think was right, and now I'm thinking it's T-A-U-B-I-N. Oh, no, that's Tobin. <laughs> But I feel like I've seen the name Tobin spelled with A-U, so I don't I've know. I've never seen the name Tobin spelled or heard of it. 
I don't know. I, but I feel like I've seen it in print with, a, with an AU before. Okay, well, now we're going to look it up because <laughs> and told it. I was writing in my notes. So I'm like, I too so fucking hate it. I'm going to spell it your way. T-O-B-I-N. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, it's giving me... <laughs> it's giving me a Canadian businessman named Brian Tobin. No. Oh, apparently, according to Urban Dictionary, Tobin is the standard used to measure badassness. No, it's really not in this, in really this context. <laughs> it really is not. Not oh. in this context, darling, yeah, no. Not at all. Um, oh, Tobin is a survivor of the outbreak in AMC's The Walking Dead, and it's spelled T-O-B-I-N. Okay, so I guess. And now let me spell it T-O-B-Y-N. Because I don't know, I was like thinking Robin, Tobin, I don't fucking know. Okay, no. No, sweetie. <laughs> oh, Tobin, name meaning, see? Oh, but it's a girl's name. So, no. <laughs> okay, I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> Let me anyway. Get okay, anyways, getting back to the substance of the matter. In um, conclusion, but also, Tobin sucks. Um, yeah, he's, he's a little much. And by a little, I mean a lot. And I will agree with you. I think everything we know about Lorelai would dictate that she would also hate Tobin's guts. Yeah, so, like, Tobin comes off to me. Remember in season two where they go to that inn? Ugh, yes. Yeah, the the, the Cheshire Cats. What is yeah. it? That? Okay, yeah. And that lady was like, he didn't ring the bell. <laughs> that seems like Tobin to me. What's her name? LaDawn? LaDawn. Oh, Jesus. I forgot the name. <laughs> yeah. You can ring the bell. You want to ring the bell? Yeah, or even remember when they can't go to Luke's anymore because he goes fishing and they go to the, the hungry, what is it? The hungry diner? Yeah. The hungry hippo diner? What, what the fuck was it called? The hungry diner, I think. Yeah, and that fucking waitress. Like, all these people are exactly like Tobin and Lorelai is so annoyed by them, but somehow she loves Tobin. Yeah, the so good that's point. that's a thing. They fucked that up. See... There's so there's there's two issues at hand here. There's oh, one. Really? I think there's more than two issues when Tobin is concerned. True, but I'll say that. So there's a, there's a reason that Michelle hates Tobin, and then there's the reason that Suki and Lorelai like Tobin, and I think they're both a little different. Tell me. So we know based on a year in the life that Michelle is gay, but at this point, you know it's still not ever really specified in, in the original series, and we've touched upon that countless times thus yeah. far. But um, I think the implication here is pretty clear that both Michelle and Tobin are gay. Mm-hmm. And it then brings brings out the tired trope of two gay men feuding over being the queen bee of a friend group of women. Mm-hmm. And... It's a tired trope, but it's also painfully accurate. Like, painfully. Like, the reason why it's tired is because it never ceases to be true. Interesting. Yeah, so I was actually going to ask you. I was like, Tobin's gay, right? <laughs> like, um, not not to, like, pick apart stereotypes, but I was like, he's he's giving off gay vibes, right? And it's like the typical, it's a, you know, it's, it's a very uh, stereotypical representation of that like, kind of, like, I don't even know the word, but it's like a, the only thing I can think of is like a queen bee of a friend group of women where it's like the gay, the gay guy in the otherwise completely female group. Yeah, so here, 
here's where I was like kind of struggling or watching this episode, not struggling with the episode, but like questions that I had for myself. Um, why is it that we think Tobin is gay? Well, it's because the media has taught us, like media, television, pop culture has taught us that that's what a stereotypical gay man is. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of makes you wonder, well, like I'm clearly buying into that, right? Yes. So when Tobin first opens his mouth, he's like, excuse me, Lorelai. Like, I, I'm like, okay, Tobin's gay. But the only reason I think that is because I've been ta- taught that, right? Yes. So then it but- kind of makes you question how you, um, how you take in all these media cues, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I... I, I struggle with, okay, they didn't tell us Michelle was gay. Well, they didn't say Michelle was gay in the original series, and they had all these um, storylines about him telling the ladies that he's great and him wanting to dance and hook up with girls, and then it's just implied in a year in the life that he's gay and we're supposed to be okay with that. Fine. But then they also put in a really stereotypical gay character, <laughs> but then don't say anything about Michelle. Like, it's just confusing to me. Yeah, so I feel like this, in terms, this episode and this plot in terms of Tobin versus Michelle, I think that's, like, kind of the mouse and the cheese in that the the subtext here is that these are clearly two gay men, but we're not saying that. It's like, the it's like, you know, when, uh, in the story of Oscar Wilde, you know, the love that dare not speak his name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, it's kind of like, for, I guess, queer audience members, it's like clear to them that these are two gay men, but we but we're, we can't say that, and we're not saying that out loud or explicitly. So the ma- so like the cheese is you know two two stereotypically gay characters, and the mouse is us running after the cheese. It's like queer baiting. It's like you're you're not actually saying that these are gay characters, but we as queer people know that it's. That that's what it is, but we can only, like, assume the implications. Yeah, but then I, I start to think that it's kind of sad in a way because you're putting in two characters that are, that, that gay people look at and say, okay, these two characters are gay. Mm-hmm. But you're not letting them be gay. Exactly. Out, like, gay and out. So then it's kind of teaching gay people that are watching this show... That, yes, you can be gay, but let's not say it. Let's not flaunt it. Come on. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, for like, sure. Like, you can be gay, but in, in, in the privacy of your own home or, like, if nobody knows that you're gay. And on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, because gay people are just people, right? So they should be allowed to live their lives, and it's not a big deal if we don't say it. But on the other hand, I'm like, it's really underrepresentation that you're not showing gay characters being gay characters and hiding the fact that they're gay. Yeah, and I'm like, we can, uh, and we obviously agree that now in 2020 that that's wrong, and I feel like they would probably take a different approach to characters like that today, I would hope. But to me, like, in 2003, this is not entirely surprising. It doesn't make it right, but it's not, I'm not surprised. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, So it's just, it's a little bit sad to me, that's it. (laughs) And I will offer one counter-argument to your earlier um, statement about stereotypical representations of gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, this is... And this is not... I'm not the first person to ever state this, but 
Um, I think the issue with like gay stereotypes is obviously that we're taught that stere- like stereotypes are not the sole representation, but because they become like you know the stereotype, it's like what, what we all what we all like learn and interpret to be true about a given group like you know like latino like other kind of cultural racist um homophobic stereotypes same kind of thing yeah but i think the issue with stereotypes of gay men is that like the stereotype that we all more or less know the one that we can interpret just by the sound of a voice or this or like the or a gesture or any kind of you know effeminate thing on a man that we that we have culturally interpreted to immediately assume is a gay person mm-hmm. I think the issue with that is we are we are taught that stereotypes are bad and we shouldn't judge people by them but at the same time the gay stereotype that we all have innately learned which is you know the effeminate queer man right I think by by saying like um you know, effeminate, effeminate queer men are the stereotype, and we shouldn't judge people by stereotypes. I think you're kind of conflating both the stereotype with the image of a effeminate queer man. In that, it's okay to be it's okay to be a, an effeminate queer man, and it's therefore okay to be a stereotype. So, like, you can separate the two. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. So, um, like, in my opinion. When you say like, oh, well, we shouldn't automatically assume he's gay. Like, yes, for sure, you shouldn't. But at the same time, when you say that, it's kind of like, it's kind of like immediately placing fault on the person for being effeminate. And it's like, well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, judge people, judge people by stereotypes. It's like, no, you shouldn't. But you also should let people be the stereotype if that's who they are. Oh, absolutely. You should let people be be and act the way they want to be and act. It's their it's their shit, right? It's their mm-hmm. their identity. We're not it's not up to us to to police that, shall we say. Yeah. But the thing is, I think when we rely too much on when writers and um people rely too much on that, mm-hmm. it can be a little much sometimes too in the sense that like there are because Gay people in general exist on a spectrum, right? Exactly. Just because you're not effeminate doesn't mean you're not gay. And just because you are effeminate doesn't mean you are gay. So, like, ugh, I have a problem with people, like, overusing that stereotype. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think there's, That's like, a, I think there's a happy medium and people rarely find it in terms of gay representation within, within and without of the stereotype. So, like, definitely... Tobin, maybe not so Michelle because Michelle is kind of sends mixed mixed messages throughout the show, but mm-hmm. definitely Tobin in this in this episode is a t- is a typical gay stereotype. Yeah, I just think that because we're taught to not judge people by stereotypes, we then automatically assume like, oh well, Tobin could be straight. It's like no, Tobin is obviously not straight. Yeah, like we like you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Like we kind of want to let Tobin be who he is while also not like judging people by stereotypes you know what i mean like let like let the queer man be effeminate and that's okay but also like demolish the stereotype if that makes sense i got it moral of the story let's find a happy medium people yes and that 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 by the way just last thing i'll say on this that is why we need more um more diverse people in creator roles and director roles Mm -hmm. because stereotype uh, if you don't know 
if you are not that person, you're obviously going to rely on stereotypes, which is not always a good thing. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to go off of what you know, like your past experiences. But um, I think people know, like the typical white straight man doesn't know about the spectrum. <laughs> they think it doesn't no. exist, right? So I think we need more diverse people in creator roles. That's all I'll say. Okay? Yes. <laughs> And the last thing I'll say is that I think in terms of like how far we've come with gay representation and still how far we have to go is that like mainstream media, as far as they're concerned, at least in the present, is that the story, the storyline that they find most interesting in terms of like white heteronormative audiences is like the typical straight passing white man can be gay. And that's, you know, such a revelation. That's so cool. And I'm thinking of the example of Love, Simon, which was, you know, the first theatrical film about a gay, about a gay person in a gay narrative. Right. Um, and like, yes, that was a wonderful achievement for, you know, the gay rights movement, I suppose. But at the same time, like, it was far from perfect in many ways. And just because the story itself was about this white boy played by a straight white actor yeah. And it was supposed to be so re- so revelatory that this, um, you know, white boy, white straight straight passing boy is gay, and it's like that's not really the, you know, the 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 struggles the that doesn't really re- represent the struggles of the queer narrative whatsoever. It's like the stories that should be told are like you know about the gay black not straight passing whatever at all people like you know like you should be telling those queer narratives instead of like. The straight passing white boy and he's gay and oh my gosh that's great you know what i mean yeah no i get that i get frustrated um with things like that in in, in hollywood shall we say yeah um, so like i was not i was not surprised whatsoever that love simon love simon you know told the story from that angle especially because it was a mainstream theatrical movie but yeah. like just just when you think about it it's like those are not the stories we should be telling. And if you if you want to make a, a theatrical movie about a gay narrative and a gay person in their life, like there's so much better that you could do. Yeah, and the example that I think of is Eddie Redmayne playing the Danish girl. Yes, like, I love gotta, that movie. But no, listen, it's a good movie. But you got a straight white man to play a trans woman. Mm-hmm. Why not get a trans woman? <laughs> like, I don't understand. And he, he did such a great job in that movie. And that's why I love that movie for the story and for him, because I love him. But agreed, like, they could <laughs> the casting department could have done better. Yeah. And I think we've said this before. It's about what you do now that you know better. So mm-hmm. do better. Do better. Um, okay. Let's talk about Rory and Jess's little conversation outside of the... Um, video store that melts my heart so this is this is hands down the cutest jess and rory scene yeah of the whole series no answers or buts this is it we've no, reached I it i completely agree with you i 100 percent agree with you um <laughs> i love it i want to wrap them in a little baby bjorn and carry them with me yes together collectively they, they are deserve so much cute. better you all they deserve so much better they did they did but you know it happens. Whatever happens, happens. So um, Jess is the complete opposite of Dean in this case. And he's like, listen, you've made your decision. You're feeling good about it. How do you feel? Like, he's being very supportive. 
Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, it has all the class. Yale has all the classes that I want. And it's an, as an added bonus, it's not very far from here. And then Jess reveals that he looked it up and it's only 22.8 miles away from Stars Hollow, which then gets me thinking. So obviously Jess is planning on staying in Stars Hollow. Why don't you share with all of with all of our listeners your theory that you uh, that you tweeted on our page? Oh, did you like my tweets? Your your thread, we loved it. Please tell everybody. Very sleep deprived. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So no, it just got me thinking, and it's something that we talked about on last week's episode too. I'm like, do you ever think that Jess is working forty hours a week because you know he's thinking of his future, he's thinking of his life beyond being an 18-year-old high school graduate, he's thinking of his life with Rory and whatnot. And then it got me thinking after watching this episode too, I was like, Jess is not the chattiest person. No. Like Luke, obviously. Um, (laughs) He's not the chattiest person, but I think a lot of what is left unsaid actually makes his character better. Yes. So when in these moments when he's talking about, listen, it's 22.8 miles and you're like, oh, my God, like that's a gesture, right? Mm-hmm. A gesture. Oh, my God. Stop. That's <laughs> <the> finest. <laughs> um, no. So like that's a gesture. That's saying like I support you in your decisions and yeah. I'm happy. And listen, I'll be here when you want to visit and whatever, you know. And mm-hmm. then it got me thinking like. Obviously, the appeal of Stars Hollow for Jess, the reason he came back, was Rory, right? Yeah. So, okay, so maybe he starts off, she goes off to college, they have the summer together, she goes off to college, he works a little bit longer at Walmart, and then he starts thinking, well, you know, now I have to kind of do something with my life. So then I wrote this whole thread about, like, I think Jess starts working 40 hours a week because he knows she's going away to college, and he wants to be with her, he wants to follow her. Mm -hmm. so he's saving for a life with her you know um he never had plans outside of high school but he's working hard so that they can be together and then I had this whole little image in my head of how he works during the day and she goes to school during the day and then they come home together maybe they get a little apartment off campus and they visit Stars Hollow together and Lorelai learns to love him and Luke is proud of him because he did something in his own way. And then in my little fantasy world, like Valentina. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like he watches her succeed and he loves that for her, but then he starts realizing, well, maybe I can do something with my life. So he goes to community college and he still writes his book. And then at the end, like Rory's still stressing because, you know, like college is almost over, but Jess is there for her. So everything's great. I don't know. That was a really like rundown version of what I said. <laughs> so in but this fan- in this fantasy world, does he graduate from high school in the w- in like the conventional way, or does he get his GED or well, something? I think that's far ahead. <laughs> okay. But the pers- the the um, the perspective that I was taking is like last week's episode and this week's episode. He doesn't know yet that he's not graduating, right? Mm-hmm. So like in my head, I'm like, okay, he's thinking I'm going to graduate. She's going to go to college. I'll follow her eventually. Like in his head, he's still thinking he's going to graduate. He doesn't know he's not graduating yet, you know? So that was like my little, I'm like, see, a lot of things are left unsaid, but it's kind of good because you can get your imagination rolling. And 
I don't think it's that far off of what would have happened if he had graduated and his dad hadn't ruined everything, right? True. And but I think when I when I read your thread, my my thought was like he doesn't graduate because he he didn't he didn't go to school enough the last year, but then he with Rory's support gets his GED outside of school. Yeah. And by the way, but that's the, that's completely fine. Yeah, like I was just about to say, by the way, like conventional school is not for everyone. And there's there's such a stigma around like not being able to um way everyone else can or does yeah and the thing is like you never know sometimes life is just shitty and people just can't go to school okay I know Jess is like voluntarily skipping to go to Walmart (laughs) but I'm thinking of people um because when I used to work in New Brunswick we would have a lot of people come in for the GED book because they couldn't they didn't graduate high school and they just take their GED later Mm -hmm. and it's like you hear these stories of like how no we were really really poor and I had to work and blah 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 and it's like it's okay to get your GED later and do something like, you know, like stop judging people. Fuck. Yeah. And I think it's, I think the stigma also just comes around the fact that like it happens to, you know, lower social classes or people who can't afford to not work and have to quit school. Like it just, it, 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 there's obviously a line in, in the way that it happens to people. Yeah, for sure. That being said, I've also seen people trying to get their GED that was like, no, I just couldn't focus. Fucking yeah. Cool. It's not because you're dumb. It's not because of any. It's just, he's just like, I, can't, I couldn't. I couldn't fucking focus. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine, too. Like, you know, traditional school is not for everyone. Nobody would say that Jess is dumb, right? No. But he just couldn't. He fucking hated school. Well, who wouldn't when you say the Pledge of Allegiance in six languages, three of which you've never heard? Well, is the implication when he come, when he returns in season six that he ultimately got his GED? So, in my opinion, no. Okay. My opinion is, like, he did his own thing. And it was a way to show that, like, you could do your own thing and still be successful. Like, he has the printing... I was going to say printing press. Like, it's the fucking Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> he has the, the publishing house and he's written a book and he's doing okay. And that's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the implication in my brain was always, like, he was always smart. He didn't need high school. And it's okay. You know what I mean? Okay. I was thinking, like, the opposite. I, was, I actually thought that, like, he ultimately got his high school diploma sometime between seasons four and six. And See, the beauty of it, Jeffrey, is that you could imagine whatever you want. Okay, so you have your you have your imagination, I have mine, and in my imagination we're married and nothing ever bad happens to us. Okay. You are married, you and Jess. Yes. You're the worst. Okay. Even though he's fictional and doesn't doesn't look like that anymore. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> um, so Luke and Nicole are getting more on screen time. Like for one episode. For mm, okay. Sh- Um, but you get the impression that they're getting a little bit more serious because Mm -hmm. Nicole asks Luke to meet her parents and that doesn't go very smoothly it does not because Luke is cracking under the pressure of being Jess's caregiver (laughs) guardian guardian thank you sorry (laughs) sorry I was working today on the the caregiver website for our (laughs) Sorry, oh shit. Okay. So yeah, it doesn't go very well because he finally gets confirmation that Jess is sneaking off to Walmart because he sees him. 
and um, he has like a mini breakdown. Shall we say a breakdown a la Gilmore? Yes, that would be it's appropriate. Very Gilmore-esque. Congrats, Luke. He's been Gilmore. That comes later. I know. I'm wrong. No, <laughs> um, but yeah, so he kind of has a meltdown in front of Luke, uh, in front of Nicole's parents. And then uh, later on on the phone, he's like, the next time your parents come into town, I'll be better. Which kind of gives us the impression that there, there, there's going to be a next time for the love of God. Why? Yeah. Why is there going to be a next time? I don't see what you see in her. They're boring, like not not as boring as uh, Lorelai and Charlie Swan, but which, by the way, haven't seen since. So true. Yeah. Like, was there ever? I just realized that was was there ever an actual breakup, or they just phased him out? No, they phased him out. Interesting. So he was like, that boring. He didn't. He didn't even deserve a proper write off. Yeah, he didn't even warrant a fucking Amy Sherman Palladino's like, we're done with you. Bye, Brian Burke. <laughs> Um, yeah. But see, the thing is, I I think they're very boring because we don't get to see it very much. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was, again, not, we don't know if that was by design or that was just, you know, how this, how the cookie crumbled or whatever happened. But I think ultimately they didn't want us to root for Luke with Nicole, right? No, for sure. Because we're never going to root for we're never going to root for Luke and Nicole. But the thing is, like, with with Lorelai's relationships, we at least got to see a little bit more of their relationship and develop feelings for the characters, right? That was true with Max, and that was that's going to be true with Jason. But, like, with Nicole, a lot of it is done in a way that's, like, ugh, not fair, kind of. Could we argue that perhaps at this point in the show, Luke was still more of a supporting character, and they hadn't really given him as much time and energy as they gave the Gilmores? Um, so I think yes. And no? Yes, obviously. (laughs) Um, so I think definitely in the beginning of season three, he was more of a, like a staple in the show. And then as season three kind of chugs along, it's more about his relationship with Jess and Jess and Rory being the focus. Yeah. Um, so he's there to like kind of support Jess while Jess kind of gets his moment in the spotlight because at this point Milo Ventimiglia is a main character. Yeah. Um, so I think yes. Yes in the sense that I think he got kind of pushed aside in favor of this Jess and Rory storyline. Him and Nicole, it's not a surprise is and Nicole's relationship kind of falls in the same category for me. Mm-hmm. But the thing is I just wish that if you're going to give Lorelai these um, meaningful and layered relationships, why not do the same for Luke? Yeah. You know, and my only, the only thing, which I've said before, is that they're kind of gearing you up for a Lorelai-Luke get-together, but then, um, you know, it just, it, it kind of falls flat for me. Yeah, so no, it does. Either they wrote Nicole, like, so hateable, that's not a word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like, so dull that we're just like, oh my God, get on with it, you know? So, like, to build up the anticipation more. Or it's just the way, like, it fell kind of thing. And um, I'm over it. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, the, I, I don't think there was anything distinctly about Luke and Nicole that was 
deliberately written for the audience to hate her or root against her. I feel like it was I feel like it was just how it happened. Like maybe the act like the actress only signed on for so many episodes or they didn't really know where, where they wanted to take it and just kind of let it like let the pace be determined naturally. Like I don't know. It, to me it just seemed like that's how it fell. Like just they yeah. let they let the crumbs fall where they fell. Yeah, um, I definitely agree that I don't think when they introduced her, I think they introduced her for the purpose of, because they he does decide to go on a date with her after he realizes that Lorelai is going fishing with Alex. Yeah. So I think I said it in that episode too. I think it was um, a way for him to frustration. Like, well, she's moving on. I should probably move on too. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's just a little weird that that relationship is carrying on while they've like phased out, while they ghosted Charlie Swan. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, and now I'm just like, okay, well, you did serve a purpose before. And now it's it seems to me that even Luke now is going through the motions. Um, but again, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, like, right now it's Jess's time to shine. Yeah. And then season four, we know the fallout of the relationship. But, I mean, it's just, it's a lot. Anyways, um, that being said, don't like it. Don't I think like- I would argue from, like, a writer's perspective that maybe the... Um, the the purpose of both boring Alex and boring Nicole was just the idea that both Luke and Lorelai were busy kissing other people and that's why they were still not together. Because, like, I think... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I haven't... Uh, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that putting Luke and Lorelai together was a th- was, an, was the idea from the beginning, right? So... I think the yeah. writers liked liked to uh, also put the cheese out for the mouse, and we always got caught in those traps. Love it. Love that analogy for you. <laughs> Love um, that journey for me. Yes, exactly. Um, okay, let's talk about Lorelai's gift that Richard gives her. Which launches a whole, opens a whole other Pandora's and, box. Exactly. Um, so Richard made an investment the night Lorelai was born. And that investment, I guess, uh, well, it was a real estate thing and the government wants to build a highway. I don't know the fucking details. But whatever, Lorelai gets $75,000 for being born. And Lorelai decides to pay back her parents with that money. Mm-hmm. Um, which, number one, makes me ask, how fucking expensive is Chilton? Um... And number two, like Rory said, why would you choose your birthday to do that? Yes. So, like, I'm kind of torn. And I and my, um, my interpretation of this part of this episode changes every single time I watch it. Yeah. So, like, for the longest time, I always more or less was on, like, was more or less sided with Lorelai's perspective in that... This was always a loan that she intended to repay. And, you know, she had prided herself on being this independent person who would pay back a loan if she asked for one. Right. So, like, that always made sense to me. Like, I never, to me, I never pegged Lorelai as someone who would ask her parents who she doesn't get along with for money and then not pay it back. Like, to me, that always makes sense that she paid it back. But. No. Honestly, I'm going to be honest. For me, too, it always made sense that she paid him back because she always said she was independent. I fully intend on paying you back. 
Um, even when they, you know, the loan with the, for the termites that Emily co-signs, she didn't want her to come to the meeting. She didn't want her to co-sign. So, of course, it's very on brand for Lorelai that she's going to pay them back. My, my issue with it is that, like, there's no, it wasn't a good way to kind of just like, here, I have something for you and just hand them a check. You know what no, I mean? No, definitely not. Like, you shouldn't have done that at Friday night dinner on your birthday like no like if you're gonna pay them back like say hey on a wednesday afternoon hey can i come over i need to talk to you about something yeah and like like, you know how your mother is right so have something prepared say like you know this doesn't mean this is gonna be the end of us you know like we still like say something don't just say here here's an envelope but see that's also the issue because we could also say that Lorelai did it that way because she didn't intend to continue Friday night dinner. She did it that way because Emily's Emily was right when she said, "You are releasing your obligation." Because Lorelai, I think I think a part of her always saw fr- Friday night dinners as an obligation because her parents were paying for her daughter's school. Yeah, so Friday night dinners are definitely something that they don't want to partake in, right? No. But I think in the three years that Friday night dinners have started. Um, even though their relationship has kind of remained unchanged, they've taken baby steps, right? Yeah, for sure. There are Friday night dinners where, oh, need I say they have actually like a little bit of fun? Yeah. Like teasing conversations, laughter, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they've had their moments where they were laughing about Grand's boyfriend, you know, like it's little things have happened. Mm-hmm. So, Yes, well, I agree that this is something that she thinks her mother was holding over her head. And she's like, yes, I don't have to go to Friday night dinners anymore. I don't think that the relationship would have been the same where they'd only see each other on Easter and Christmas. Uh, Yeah, I would. So, like, I think Friday night dinners, you're right to say that they've changed their the, the dynamic of their relationship in that they've taken baby steps to become closer than they were before. Yeah. But I think just based on how Lorelai tends to act like a baby in these types of situations, I think that because we know Lorelai and Emily are so innately different from each other, mm-hmm. and they just no matter how far, no matter how many baby steps they take, they're they're never gonna see eye to eye on certain things. I think that. Because Lorelai then says, you know, I don't have as many warm and fuzzy memories as you do with them. And I don't yeah. want you to ever know that side of them. I think Lorelai, I think no matter what happens, Lorelai always carries the trauma of those experiences and those memories. And so that's why she's quick to get out of any gathering, at, you know, any any dinner, any anything that she has to attend with them because no matter how close they get, no matter how much they repair their relationship, there's still some things that time never heals for Lorelai. No, I get that. And listen, we, we've we watched the show how many times now? We know that even in a year in the life, she's still carrying that shit, right? In her 50s. Yeah. So those things don't go away, especially if you avoid them and don't talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I did... I, I just, I, I just didn't think it was a good look to just say, here's an envelope. <laughs> no, obviously. And like, I would definitely agree that it was not the right time or place necessarily to have that conversation. But just looking back, having, you know, just watched it for the purposes of analysis, I think that it's telling why Lorelai did it the way she did. Like you could, yeah. she could, she could play down and be like, I'm just repaying my debt. Well, you know, here it is. You know, there, there's going to be some Friday night dinners. 
maybe not every Friday. Like, just you can just tell. And that's why, as I get older, I, I understand Emily's reaction more and I sympathize with it because from her perspective, if there is no obligation, there's there's no reason for her her daughter to ever attend or ever to see her or come back here. You know, like, Emily carries those wounds and those scars too. And I think yeah. they're different from... They're different from how, obviously, let's say Richard and Rory would see would see the situation. So they're trying to say, like, I told you not to tell your mother. Or why do why did you tell Grandma like that? Like they don't see it the same way because the way that it happened was very the like the cut was very deep for both Emily and Lorelai in ways that it wasn't for Richard and or Rory. But Rory wasn't even in the picture. Yeah, listen, I think we can both agree that there's. There's issues on both ends that, like, are not going to be fixed overnight. No. And, um, like, the rest of season three is going to be a little bit weird because mm-hmm. of the fallout from this episode. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I see both sides, let's just say. Yeah, I do, too. And I think I think the reason why I sympathize more with Emily the more I watch this episode is because... Just the way that she says, you know, you don't owe me any favors, you know, don't bother. I think that's, yeah. I think that's like how my mom would react probably, or like how a lot of mothers I know would react. Just like, oh, yeah, for sure. you know, not even mothers, just grandmothers, like all women who have, you know, put in the effort in loving and caring for a family. And then it's like, well, don't bother. You don't owe me anything. Do what you want. Like that to me is just very realistic. And I could see any number of women I know in real life reacting like that. Yeah. And here's the thing. That reaction is obviously one of hurt. Yes, exactly. Um, that's, just, that's just manifesting itself in anger, right? Um, yeah. And the problem with women like that, and by the way, there's women like that in my own family, um, is sometimes we just don't know, and I and I include myself in this sometimes, um, sometimes we just don't know how to express ourselves. Yeah. Um, in a real productive way. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be because we've been let down a lot or we feel like underappreciated, whatever the reason, sometimes it's just easier to react in anger Mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and say like you're really hurting me right now and here's why exactly so yeah it's it's just they've got a long way to go i think everybody can relate to that like yeah, how many times have you know every single person including yourself reacted in anger because it was anger was easier than in addressing the emotion you were actually feeling oh god it's so much easier to just throw a fit and be like okay i'm done whatever <laughs> yeah exactly um one last thing that I wanted to bring up about um, this uh, dinner was the fact that Richard doesn't know how old Lorelai is. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yes, it's funny. He's like 36th birthday, and she's like, it's 35th, you idiot. <laughs> um, so it brings us to something that um, was said in the comments, was brought up in the comments of one of our posts that I want to bring up. And it's something that we also touched upon with our um our conversation with Samantha. Mm -hmm. Um, So I posted a video of Luke, um, the scene where Luke hugs Rory because she got into all the Ivy Leagues. Mm -hmm. And I said, raise your hand if you would accept a hug from Luke, the show's only good father figure. And then a lot of people were like, well, what about Richard? And so I would like to echo something that Samantha said. And she said that... um, so Richard is not entirely a, f- a present father figure. No. Um, 
yes, he provides for his family, but he's ne- like you never get the impression that he's somebody who you're going to be able to talk with. No, um, he's a good. She, she she said something along the lines of. He's a good provider. He's not necessarily a good father. Exactly. So this commenter wrote, Richard, what about Richard? And I wrote, Richard was a good provider, but not a great father figure. Um, uh, And then she wrote back, good point, but I think he didn't know how to be. And I said, listen, that's true. I think a lot of men of his generation were in the same boat. They were taught that in order to be a good father, the only thing you had to do was work super hard and provide for your family. I'm glad more and more men are learning that you have to show up and be part of your kids' lives. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. I think Richard was being a good father the only way he knew how. Yeah. But that's not really being a good father, by today's standards at least. No, and I think that also just brings up generational divides. like. Exactly. Fathers of Richard's generation, by what he did and how he took, be a fantastic father. But like, you know, beneath the surface, as time has gone on, like, children and your family need more than just you leading a good life and leaving, you know, money and good a good path to follow. Like, you need more than that. You need a support system. You need love. You need understanding. Yeah. Etc. Yeah, it brings me to the, um, it makes me think about the scene in the first season where Lorelai, where Luke is driving Lorelai to the hospital because they think he had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, he's not a bad guy, my dad. He worked hard. That's what he was taught to do. He provided for us, you know? Yeah. So I think just the fact that Lorelai can, um, can understand that, that already she has an understanding that, like, he did the best he could, mm-hmm. I think is... Um, why she and her father have, in my opinion, a little bit of a better relationship than she and her mother do. Yeah. Um, like, I think she she kind of gets along more with Richard because it's never really that deep, right? No. She understands that he did what he thought was best, and I'm not going to change him. That's what he thought, and that's it, you know? Yeah. Whereas I think with Emily, it's more like, well it's 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 much more deep than that it's she should have been there for me her only job was really to be a mother why couldn't she understand me blah 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 yeah it's true emily is held to a different standard yeah for sure and i think on the one hand it's fair but it's also not fair so it's very gendered yeah um but from lorelei's perspective i think she might have thought well they set the rules right (laughs) Mm-hmm. They set those gender rules, so they should have. Um, so Emily should have followed through on her side of the deal, right? Um, but that's why, to me, it just it just kind of got me thinking. Um, that's why their relationships are so different. Mm-hmm. And even when Lorelai and Richard do kind of have fun together, I'm like, well, yeah, of course you can have fun because you each know your rules, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why Lorelai has more anger towards Emily than anything else. And I think I would also add to that, that um, in regards to Richard and Emily's gender roles, I think they got, and I think this has happened to countless people, both in fiction and real life, like you lose yourself in those gender roles and you forget that there are humans in and outside of those gender roles. Like you can be a mother and a wife because that's what your generation and your society taught you was the, the acceptable path. But like... Mm-hmm you then have to be the mother. You have to be understanding. You have to leave room for growth and mistakes. Like, you have to 
you know, create a healthy support system for your children. Like that's what being a mother is. But I think if you just set it out as the gender role of being a wife and a mother and being, you know, the husband and the provider, I think you lose yourself in just following that and focusing only on that. But, you know, there's a lot of things that fall in and out of those lines that people forget about, like, you know, hugging your children and providing love as well as money and a home and insurance, you know? Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, But yeah, those are just my two thoughts. And that's why, that's why I say kind of Luke is the only really good father figure. Mm -hmm. Um, Because other than that, we really don't have a good example. You all know how I feel about Christopher. Like, come on. That's not sperm donor, sweetie. Sperm donor, I know. (laughs) I came up with the term for him. Because I think it just, it calls Lind, again, the generational divides. Like, Luke is more or less from the present day, whereas Richard is of a different mindset. So, like, we, Luke was the only, the only hope for a, you know, present day modern father figure that, provides more beyond provides something beyond just money and comfort yeah no i get it anything else you wanted to say for this episode should we talk about the giant pizza the world's largest pizza like who is surprised that kirk got burnt nobody i was like of course of course that happened like fuck off kirk (laughs) and of course jackson gets all bitchy about honey then yes my wife my suki but like yeah get okay. a life shut up jackson like, like she asked not- the pizza guy who makes pizzas in stars hollow like a, like the yeah also i think it's interesting that we never see that pizza guy again and we've never heard them talk about that restaurant ever we did see the like the when rory went in and was like brainstorming ideas to actually make the pizza it was kirk and that other delivery guy who we've seen joe. a few times joe so i'm yeah. guessing that's yeah. And I will say we have seen them talk about uh, Pete, like yes. Pete's pizza guy, but we've mm-hmm. never heard them mention the name of the restaurant, which is Antonoli's, Anton- whatever it is. So True. I'm like, oh, okay, we're just going to make up a fucking restaurant for one episode. Cool, cool. <laughs> also, this, this is the episode where Stars Hollow is directly across the streets from Luke's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Stars Hollow High. The layout makes so much sense, doesn't Zero it? Zero sense it doesn't make. Shut up. <laughs> Where's the lake? <laughs> Where is this fucking lake? I want to know. Because in season two, episode five, first appearance of Jess, this lake is right next to the school. Yeah. I don't know. I can't. If I think about it too hard, I will bleed out. So please don't <laughs> make me. Um, yeah, I think I'm good for this episode. Do you have anything else? I think that's it. Shall we update them on the bracket? Yes. Yeah, so the brackets... Um, still going strong. We have a new matchup this week. Shall we? Yes. Are you sure? I think I'm ready. Mm, okay. So this week we're going to do 208, the ins and outs of ins. Mm-hmm. Versus 608. Let me hear your balalaikas ringing out. Kel, you know which one I'm going to pick. Yeah, I obviously know which one you're going to pick. You little shit. <laughs> You little shit. You're so predictable. You don't even have to ask. It's 208. You know I hate season six. So why would I choose anything from that? It's fine. It's fine. But I thought you would have maybe liked it because Jess was in it. Yeah. Eh, Think about it a little bit. (laughs) I don't know. That's a good point. I forgot that it was that one that he was in. Oh, sweetie. (laughs) I'm Um, I'm undecided. I know. You're an undecided voter. 
Um, which, by the way, is the shittiest phrase in this election cycle. Because if you're an undecided voter, fuck off. Not acceptable. Not acceptable at this point. But we're not going to talk about that. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say for this podcast episode was, Jeffrey, we got another question about what we're reading. Oh, did we? We did. And so that prompted me to add um, the covers of the books that we're currently reading. Mm-hmm. But I added the cover of the book that you just finished reading because you're not currently reading anything on Goodreads. Yeah, I was going to say it's a bit of a sore subject because... Oh, are you in a book um, rut? Not really, or a slump. I don't really like the term slump or rut, but, like, I guess that's what's happening. It's like, I'm just not really in the mood for anything I have left on my pile. Like, I ordered a bunch of new books in September, and I read them all. Okay. And I'm, like, not in the mood for anything else. And the library is now closed again and even if it wasn't it's not really a safe or fun place to be right now with everybody watching you like a hawk so like yeah. not the same experience but so I've uh last two nights I've kind of anxiously ordered new books online so uh we'll see what happens okay in the meantime I've been rereading old favorites oh well that's always a good thing yes um I just wanted to mention the book that I'm reading because it's one of these scenarios where, um, you know, a book is so good that you can't put it down, but you want to force yourself to put it down because you don't want it to end. You want to savor it. I want to be like, no, don't end on me. So um, I'm about like 60% through. And I would have been done the night I picked it up because it's really like, oh, it's something. Um, but I'm just, I've been forcing myself to kind of, uh, stretch it out a little bit. I might have to add this to my list now. Probably. Uh, it's called The Comeback by Ella Berman. And, um, it's about a young actress who was a child star and she only ever worked with one director Mm -hmm. um, who kind of like discovered her. Um... So she gets nominated for a Golden Globe and she disappears um, right after her nomination. She goes back to live with her parents. Um, So it's described as, so when Grace is asked to present a Lifetime Achievement Award to director Abel York, the man who controlled her every move for eight years, she knows there's only one way she'll be free of the secret that's already taken so much from her. So it's like a Me Too kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, and, like, every chapter ends with, like, her plotting, and I'm just like, yes, girl! (laughs) So, I don't want it to end, but I also really want to know what happens. Uh, it's really, really good so far. Thank you to my library for giving it to me. Um, my libraries aren't closed yet here. I don't know what'll happen when they close. I'm so tired. I'm so scared. (laughs) Um, but for now, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hold on to it. Um... Yes, I highly recommend The Comeback by Ella Berman. Um, you know, there's something else we need to talk about regarding this book that I've just looked up and I'm immediately intrigued, but yeah, Emily, Emily May gave it five stars. Oh, God, I know. I knew you were going to bring that up. So for those of you who aren't on Goodreads, and have we talked about this before in the podcast? We've never talked about Miss Emily on the podcast. Okay, so Emily May, for those of you who don't know, and if you do know, it's probably because you're on Goodreads and you've seen her. Um, do you want to say who Emily May is? or? So she's the most followed reviewer on Goodreads. Yeah. Um, 
I think like it's basically her job. She runs a book blog and it's, it's she's made a, a living off of, I don't know a living, but she's definitely made it a, a thing where people just send her advanced copies and copies of her books, um, of their books. And she reviews them and people really, um, people really hold her reviews to like the standard of reviewing. Yeah. At least so, on Goodreads. At least on Goodreads. But, like, authors do it, too, you know? Like, they send her advanced copies. I and think she, I think So I think she runs, definitely runs a blog. But I don't know how she came to be the most followed person on Goodreads. I don't know either. But I know I know that she's read... Um, right now, her, her book count is 6,003. Mm. You have to rub so, it in, Emily. Yeah, like, literally... Way more than me. Okay. Uh, I think I've read like 500 or something. She's uh, she's quite something. So that's what makes me think that she's made a career out of it. Because like if I had an actual, I do have an actual job and I can't just sit around and read all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, but her, her styles kind of vary. She, she goes a lot from like, she, she does a lot of reviews for YA and YA fantasy and science fiction. Um, and I know for myself at the beginning of my Goodreads journey, when I first discovered Emily May, I was like, I gave her like a lot more credit than I think she deserves. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was, do you remember what it was? Was it Tell the Wolves I'm Home? Yeah. So Jeffrey and I had this obsession with this book called Tell the Wolves I'm Home. Yes. Um, it's probably the only, well, it's, it's kind of weird because it's classified as YA, but it's very adult in some senses, but whatever. Um, it's probably the only YA book that I'll still go back to and recommend to everyone. I actually just gave it to my sister-in-law's mother to read. Um, hands down, maybe my favorite book ever. Mm-hmm. And one day Jeffrey goes on Goodreads and he's like, um, did you see what Emily May wrote about Tell the Wolves at Home? I remember, I remember that day that I texted you and we had kind of been, you know, joking about Emily May and saying like wow she gave this book this many stars and like oh she doesn't like this book but it was like all in good fun and then yeah, it was kind of like it was very downhill after that when we discovered she gave two stars to Tell the Wolves I'm Home. Yeah so listen we were very like oh Emily May reviewed this book and it was really good I'm like oh maybe I'll have to check it out whatever and then when I saw that she gave Tell the Wolves I'm Home two stars I turned on her so fucking fast you guys. <laughs> It was very downhill from there. It really was. Never again, Emily May. So now my 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 like my gauge for like my I don't know my bookometer. Like if I want to read a book and I see that Emily gave it, if I'm always on the fence about a book and I see Emily May gave it like five stars, I'm like, oh. Yeah, you want to like think about it first because yeah, again, all in good fun. Nothing. We have nothing personal against her. Oh no, not at all. But it's just funny because she can give such an honest, heartfelt review one day. And then the next day, she takes this book that, like, everybody else has loved. And she gives it, like, two stars. And she's like, this is my issue. It didn't do this. And blah, blah, blah. And, like, just a super snobby review. And taking things way too seriously and reading way too much into things. And we're like, okay, can you take a breath? Like, what? Can you calm down? Yeah. But I mean, that's, listen, the books are subjective, right? It's like yeah. you said, it's all in good fun. But I remember, um, <laughs> so every time now I'm on the fence about a book, I'm like, oh, it sounds interesting, but I don't know. I kind of go and read Emily May's review and I'm like, mm, maybe not. 
And the fact that she gave this book five stars is a lot because she rarely gives out five stars. For her, yeah. four, for her, four stars is everybody else's five stars. Yeah, so when Emily May gives four stars, I'm like, oh, damn. But when Emily May gives five stars, it's something to talk about, you guys. Because she usually gives five stars to, like, really random sci-fi books. That's why she, she. That's why she's very into like sci-fi and fantasy YA. So that's why I was like, oh my. Um, yeah, I remember I started reading it before I saw that she reviewed it. So um, I was already hooked when I saw her review. So Emily, we love you. <laughs> but we do we do. <laughs> love hit relationship, Emily? But ultimately, you keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I'm sure it's just because. Um, I'm just mad at Tell the Wolves at home. <laughs> Honestly, you have every right to be because there's times where you really like, especially with YA too, because I feel like there's just certain books that you read when you're a certain age and they just like stick to your heart and, you, and they never come unstuck. And it's like, yeah. you love this book so much and you go on and you see someone like Emily May who has such a huge following and whose reviews are so widely respected. And it's like, this sucked and here's why. It's like, take it outside. Okay? Yeah. By the oh. way, just to tell you guys something, I thought I had a lot of fucking books on my want to read pile. <laughs> she has 3,700. Does she? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Because there was I, one time where she would only put, again, I think I've like meticulously scrolled through her profile too many times. I'm not a stalker, Emily, I promise. But there was there was a time where she only put books on her want to read list that like she had owned and was like on her like radar for that week or something. There have been no. times where she only have like eight or ten books, give or take, every week. No, but I think now that she's moved into like a more professional role, mm -hmm. and she's actually getting paid for this stuff, um, she's reviewing all kinds and reading all kinds. So, anyways, that's our little story about Goodreads. Um, please read both those books, despite <laughs> what he has to say. And Jeffrey, where can they follow us? Uh, they can follow us on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast and on Twitter at Gilmore Podcast. And we'll be posting the bracket update. There's one up right now. Um, we always post fun little stories too, some text exchanges that we have. Yes, about Timothy Chalamet. Fuck that kid. <laughs> but he's pretty, so I let him have it. Ah, shut up. Okay. Um, that's it for this week. We will see you guys next week. Please yep. be safe. And thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. Bye.